Hi, my name's Ty, and you're listening to Stories Worth Telling Forever. In this episode, we remember the bike wanderer, Johan Yoryev. Although Johan passed away on August 19th, 2021, he left behind a wealth of skillfully documented adventures. I'll do my best to help you imagine what it might have been like to travel alongside Johan on one of his remote journeys. On the way, we'll talk with those who knew him and try to uncover some of the mysteries surrounding his life. Finally, we'll take a look at why the body of work that he left behind is in danger of disappearing and how we can use new technologies like a cord powered by Arweave and the Permaweb to preserve his memory and content for future generations. Who knows, maybe you'll even be inspired to preserve your own stories worth telling forever. So grab a drink or a snack, maybe someone you love, as we take one last wild ride with Johan Yoryev. Our story begins April 7th, 2014. 10 p.m. at night, with a man riding his bike along the frozen Mackenzie River in northern Canada. And as he rides along the ice highway in the blowing snow, a long-haul truck driver slows down beside him and can hardly believe what he's seeing. He rolls down his window and asks, What's your name? Johan, the man replies into the frozen air. Where did you come from? The truck driver asks. Ontario. But I'm going to Argentina, replies Johan. This is how Johan, otherwise known as the Bike Wanderer, begins his completely self-produced series entitled See the World. Hey, what's your name? to work the summer in British Columbia, then cycle from Alaska to Argentina. But I had 30 days to spare and what better way to do a warm-up ride than to bike 3000 kilometers from the Arctic Ocean. So let me take you along for a ride, but not the kind you would see at the movies, on TV or on the cover of National Geographic. There is no pack list, rationed food or a breakdown of where I'll sleep every night. The set is the vast Canadian Northwest, the director, the unpredictable weather, the stars, people I meet on the way, and the script, the open road, and whatever it throws at me. What led Johan to start the See the World series that would go on to become 40 episodes spanning six years of travel, from the Arctic Circle to Argentina and even venturing to faraway places like Oman and Morocco? we can gain a little bit of insight from the about section of the website bikewanderer.com that's johan's personal website and 
Thankfully, it's still accessible. And it reads, My name is Johan. I'm 32 and was born and raised in Bulgaria. When I was 15, I moved to Ontario, Canada, where I spent the next 10 years. In 2003, I got a touring bike and went to Vancouver for the first time. I have never seen the coastal range or the Rockies before, and in 40 days, I rode across Canada. I always liked riding my bike, but now I knew that I can ride it anywhere. In the spring of 2014, I began riding from the frozen Arctic Ocean. On the third day of my first trip, I met a cyclist, and he said, Don't forget to enjoy the ride. It took a while to sink in, but attitude matters. You can be cold, miserable, and complaining, or just have the time of your life in the worst of storms. Like the title of his series, Johan wanted to see the world. Not the sights and landmarks in a travel guide, but mountain passes, raging rivers, and the wild animals and local people that inhabit those hard-to-reach places. That was the world he wanted to see. And he worked hard to document his experiences. On the handlebars of his bike, uh, Johan taped the See the World Manifesto. And it went like this. See the world. Follow a map to its edges and keep going. Forgo the plans and trust my instincts. Let curiosity be my guide. I want to change hemispheres, sleep with unfamiliar stars, and let the journey unfold before me. Now, before we go any further in this podcast, uh, I want to let you know that Johan passed away August 19th, 2021, after a long battle with a serious form of insomnia and depression. Johan took his own life. But although he's gone, he has left behind many stories worth preserving. So let's take a few minutes now, and let's go on a journey with Johan. The adventure I've chosen to share with you today begins in the sweltering heat of the concrete metropolis, Dubai. It's January 2017, and having arrived in Dubai to attend a travel festival, it didn't take Johan long to start feeling out of place in this giant city. In his blog, he wrote, Instead of the mighty rivers of the north, there were fast-flowing highways that crisscrossed the city, impassable without a car and with a clear message. Nobody rides bikes in Dubai. So here we are in Dubai, and we find Johan looking up at the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world. And we get a glimpse into the mind and thoughts of Johan. It costs about $200 to get to the top of Burj Khalifa. But for the same amount of money, I could get a Walmart bike and see how far I can get before my return flight. After all, what could possibly go wrong? Instead of seeing the sights like most tourists, Johan puts his modest travel funds towards a Walmart bike and he sets off to explore. 
with 12 days before his next flight, we see him heading down the highway out of Dubai towards Oman. His goal? To get to a town named Kassab, about 200 kilometers from Dubai, and pack raft the Indian Ocean around the Musandam Peninsula from Kassab to the town of Deba. And from there, he plans to cross back to the other side of the peninsula on land. So to help you visualize what this journey entailed, this peninsula forms the northeastern point of the entire Arabian Peninsula, the largest in the world. And on top of that, this area is governed by two countries, part of it by the Omani government, and the other section is governed by the United Arab Emirates, or UAE. Now, the peninsula itself is made up of mountains. There's these dramatic stone cliffs and colorful sedimentary rock layers that just plunge into the surrounding turquoise Indian Ocean. The area is inhabited by the local tribes people, uh, predominantly the Shihe tribe. I may be mispronouncing that. So English, not likely. Uh, visa, police, border crossing issues, very likely. And remember, this journey begins essentially on the ocean in a pack raft in a sparsely populated area. So you can imagine, you know, crossing from one point to another, kilometers out into the ocean, and getting a puncture in your raft, you know, or even wondering things like, you know, where do you stop to camp at night? Johan only had a vague idea of a route for this journey. Uh, he had mentioned that the only record of travelers he had found online who had talked about going around the Musandam Peninsula was this group of three people who had sea kayaks, and they had ended up getting stuck and needing a motorboat to bring them to safety. So the information they had wasn't terribly useful to Johan. But of course, None of this deterred Johan. Now you can imagine Johan's first night out on the water. He's short on time, and he needs to find somewhere to set up camp before it gets too dark. And this is from Johan's blog. He wrote, Just as all the colors started bleeding together, I made for what seemed to be a beach. The camp was close to the shore, but away from the crashing waves. There's something scary about the ocean at night. I go to wash my dishes, but seem to run back out with every wave. Well, if you've ever spent any time on the ocean, likely you echo Johan's feelings about it being a fear-inspiring place at night. The following day, as Johan makes his way towards the tip of the peninsula, he is met three times by a machine gun-mounted Coast Guard vessel. Now, unsure of what to do about this long-haired, English-speaking foreigner in a pack raft, they photograph him and his passport and direct him to a small town at the tip of the peninsula where the Coast Guard's brother is waiting for him at the beach. What does Johan find when he arrives? Well, Johan narrates as he arrives on the beach, greeted by a crowd of children and curious villagers. One man spoke a little English and he told me to follow him. Everybody grabbed a piece of gear and we made our way into Kumzar. 
with the echo of the Muslim call to prayer bouncing off the surrounding mountainsides, Johann is whisked away into a large, bright room with a shining tile floor where he can store his belongings and rest for the evening. In the morning, just as I pack up, the police shows up and they take me to the station. I speak on the phone with the commanding officer who says that it's okay for me to continue. Over the next few days, we see images of Johan paddling through the expanses of crystal clear waters, enjoying these beautiful sunsets from beachside campsites. At one particularly perfect spot, tucked in away from the waves, Johan tells us how he feels. It felt great to be up on the rocks, away from the waves, and protected from the wind, in what used to be an ancient fishing village. It felt amazing to be able to see this part of the world under my own power and on my own terms. No tour of the area would offer an overnight visit to Kumzar or a meet and greet with fishermen from a two-house village. The imposing mountains stood tall over the ocean and seemed more and more inviting. The next day at sunset, we find Johan searching for a new spot to set up camp. Finally, he comes across a small village, but this time the locals refuse to let him stay the night on their land. So, with light fading fast, all he could do was get back into his pack raft and hope to find another place where he could see light along the shore. It's here in this episode where in the pitch dark with the sound of the pack raft bobbing in the ocean, Johan explains his situation. Um, I also don't have a map for this area, so I don't even know where I am. Uh, but I do know the way is that way, uh, outside along the shore. Looks like it's gonna be an all-nighter in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> and then Johan spots a light. And at this point in the video, we see a caption that comically reads, in 99% of cases, it's not good to go towards the light. This was different. Johan lands on the rocks and a Pakistani family struggles to help him pull his boat up onto the shore. Immediately, they invite him in and give him something to eat and start communicating with a kind of improvised sign language. They then quickly show Johan to a bed under the stars, and the man of the family goes off to fish in the night. Johan wrote, Fresh, fire-baked bread for breakfast. I pack up, and before I can say goodbye, the man and his kids are already in the motorboat, off to collect fishing nets, and the woman has the goats out and up the hill. The next day, Johan arrives in Duba, having completed the pack rafting component of his journey. He writes, I pack up and embark on a legendary six-kilometer portage through town, disguised as a shipwreck survivor, my shorts ripped, my hat and shirt with salt stains and a paddle over the shoulder. The next stage of Johan's adventure is to cross the mountains and valleys that make up the interior of the peninsula 
Let me give you a taste of how that leg of the journey begins. After I packed up food, I made my way out just as the evening prayer began. People were gathering at the mosque and the changing colors made this as surreal as ever. I had only five days left and really no idea what the road back to my boat was. And I still had to get to Dubai after. I continued biking in the dark and slept somewhere on a road. And in the morning, I followed valleys and mountainsides up towards the moon. If you can bike into Mordor, I think this is what uh, the road would be like. All we're missing is the fire. And Frodo, of course, and Gollum. So I, I hope this small piece of one of Johan's adventures is enough to help you appreciate the value of what he created and left behind. And if you'd like to check out the full episode 16 of See the World, The Great Escape, I'll leave the link as part of the notes in the podcast. When experiencing Johan's content, it's hard not to be inspired to want to see the world and go out and take some time to experience its beauty. But beyond this inspiration to explore, like me, I imagine you can't help but want to know more about what made Johan who he was. And while much of what we know is shrouded in mystery, there are some pieces that I was able to put together while creating this podcast. We know that Johan grew up in Bulgaria, in the nation's capital of Sofia. Little is known about his mother, although it seems she was not always around and sadly may have suffered from some mental health issues. Very little is known about his father, other than that he was an immigrant from Vietnam and that he likely left home very early, possibly even before Johan was born. It seems that Johan's grandparents must have played a significant role in his upbringing. But in 2003, both of his grandparents passed away. And it was at this time that Johann's uncle flew the 15-year-old Johann all the way to Toronto, Canada to live with him. And until this time, no one has been able to connect with a member of Johann's family, including this uncle. However, I was able to speak for a few minutes with a journalist named Svetoslav Todorov from Bulgaria. 
Now, he's interviewed and written about Johann's journeys in the past. And after Johann passed away, Svetoslav did some investigating in Bulgaria in an attempt to uncover some of the mysteries of Johann's past. Let's listen in to a few minutes of my conversation with Svetoslav. If you can think back, maybe uh, to your past, about what, what it might have been like to grow up in Bulgaria for someone like Johan. With Johan, we're pretty much at the same age. Were, unfortunately. He's born now uh, one year before me in 88, where so I'm born in 89. So I guess we had a lot of maybe shared experiences in the 90s which was a very weird time. And even as a toddler, I kind of knew, knew that it's a very weird transitional time because basically Bulgaria was exiting communism in the very end of the 80s. Economic crisis after economic crisis, various uh, tension points in the, politi- in the political scene. We had, you know, MTV, we were watching the, all the American TV shows, but what you're watching is not your reality in a way. Recently, uh, in the beginning of the year, an American journalist, Bill Donahue, actually contacted me to do some research work for a very big article he did for Bicycling.com. Okay. I, I had to contact one of his teachers. It was very, very interesting because um, some of the teachers were actually kind of remembered him instantly. They never had any kind of a contact with him since the 90s. One of the teachers actually managed to uh, find uh, a photo of him when he was like seven, which is absolutely strange because, I mean, who knows how many strange photos of our childhood some teacher has. Anyway, and on this photo, he was with the T-shirt of the Lion King. What we kind of found out that um, his child, his family background was really, really far from stable which I guess also contributed to, I don't know. I mean, it's the thing is that even after we interviewed some of his uh, schoolmates or Bill contacting some people who he traveled with, there are so many dots which, you know, are left un- unconnected. Mm-hmm. There are this kind of... Um, uh, two storylines that about his family big background being really, really fragmented and also living in a very, very fragmented context, economically yeah. and politically wise. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. It's, mm. I imagine, you know, as a, a child that age, you know, you, you would pick up on it, pick up on it in your environment. And obviously your parents would be feeling the pressure and stress of, of all of those things. Absolutely. It's kind of transferred. I remember knowing what inflation is when I was seven, for example. You kind yeah, of that's just, not normal. It's, it's just all around you in a way. Even the humor is very politicized in a way. Right. So, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And it, it's that's quite significant, I think, too, that teachers would have remembered, you know, that we're talking like, you know, 20, 30 years of time has gone by. It's absolutely amazing. And when I emailed the director of the school, she emailed like, and Bulgarian teachers, they don't like emailing back. Anyway, and uh, so I was very surprised to get a reply after 20 minutes where the director said, I just asked the cleaner 
and she said she remembered him and he was a good swimmer. The cleaner. Yes, obviously the cleaner is working at that school for, I don't know, three decades. Oh my goodness. Wow, that's interesting. Yes. And it was also very, very strange to navigate the conversation because these people, they had no idea what became of Johan after he immigrated from Bulgaria. Some were not sure if he immigrated to Canada or to the U.S. They had no idea that he got some kind of a recognition about his work. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know about the tragic end of his life. Mm -hmm. So it was very, yes, it was a bit, yeah, walking on glass in terms of explaining my interest in him. Yeah, I can imagine that would be difficult to to explain all in one short conversation. To this day, we don't know the story of the father at all. Mm-hmm. We just know that he's from v- Vietnam. And I guess that just for the context, there were a lot of both workers and students from Vietnam in socialist Bulgaria in the 70s and the 80s, which not many of them stayed through the 90s. And uh, it's easy to assume that his father was from that background and he maybe left Bulgaria by 89, but that's something we can only assume. Mm-hmm. We don't know what came, uh, what became of the mother. We know that she had probably some kind of a mental issues, but we don't know if she's alive, for example. We know that there was an uncle who actually helped him immigrate to Canada and he stayed with that aunt uncle for a number of years Mm -hmm. so many of the whole family connections are just like one step from being a bit clearer but they never became yeah i think that we even found a guy who had the same name as his uncle in the same city in canada and it wasn't him so we were we were always this close to finding a bit more but yeah you see this kind of a history where yes when there is a door shut, he doesn't come back. Yeah, it, it's tough, right? Because I think everyone that kind of got to know him seems to have, you know, formed a little bit of a bond with him and, and cared about him. But at the same time, like it was just hard to to know him on a deep enough level to to offer help if he needed help, you know? Yes. It's a tricky thing if you don't know a person. Yeah. I think for most of us, you know, if we're on a journey or, or an adventure and we we run into a situation or come across a place where we're concerned for our safety, you know, we, we stop and we think about it mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe there's another way to go or maybe I, maybe I should turn back. But with Johan, you get the feeling that he didn't have those thoughts. Yes, he never went back to like anything when he shuts a door it's almost like he has that's that's a shut entrance for Mm -hmm. forever i mean that's when we were trying to connect all the stories it looked that way as a narrative of yes a continuous escape from we don't know from what and we don't know to where in a way Although Johann's past will likely remain a bit of a mystery, he left us with a wealth of content, and we can still reach out to those who knew Johann personally. One close friend of Johann's that I had a chance to chat with was Matt Bardeen. Now, Matt is an American living in Chile. He's teaching at the University of Talca and was a friend and travel companion of Johann's, even appearing in a few of his episodes. 
Matt also wrote an article for cyclingabout.com, where he provided some insights into Johan's travels and his character. And I'm really grateful to Matt for helping me to get a sense of what it might have been like to travel with Johan. In his article, The Hard Road, Insights into Johan Yoriev, Matt wrote, Picture yourself as an arriero, a Chilean mountain cowboy, riding along on your horse on some isolated trail high in the Andes Mountains, when you come across a foreigner pushing a heavily loaded bike. Where are you coming from, you ask? Alaska, is his reply. From where? That memory of this stranger with a bike appearing out of nowhere, hailing from far-off lands, would remain indelibly etched in your consciousness. Maybe at times you'd think you imagined it all, but what a memory it would be. Let's listen to a few minutes of my conversation with Matt Bardeen. Matt, great to have you here. Maybe we could start by finding out how you came to know Johan. Um, our first meeting, I was helping him solve issues with his drone. Uh, he had lots of issues with uh, the camera not working correctly. After that, he, I invited him after his stretch, after his first meeting, he did a 15-day stretch, the high Andes here. I said, listen, if you need to rest and recover after that, let, let me know. I'll host you at the house, no problem. And initially, he didn't seem like he was going to take it up. But after that 15-day stretch, he says, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll come. When he was here, I let him borrow my laptop. And he realized, uh, I have Steam mm -hmm. for games. Okay. And he saw Civilization. Ah. Said, oh, are you a Civilization player? I was like, yeah. Oh, I love Civilization. And then we really started that connection. Ah, okay, cool. So, yeah, so... On a few of his journeys, you were involved. Indeed. And were those all in Chile? Yeah, pretty much. Um, there was the the last episode, the episode 40, um, mm -hmm. that was in Chile and then up into Argentina. What do you think it, it was about Johan's style that made it unique? I think he wasn't so focused on selling place. I think mm -hmm. he was more focused on just showing what it was like. One of his videos, I think, see the world episode five, where he was wandering through the middle of the continental divide trail. He says, I could tell you about how hard this is, but I don't want to. I'm just, instead, I'm just going to show you how beautiful it is. And I think, that that's basically what he did is he, he he did complain about how hard it is from time to time but his style was mainly just showing how beautiful it was um he and he didn't really not show the bad parts or he, he showed the bad parts he showed he, he incorporated them into his video but he didn't make the whole video about the bad parts he made it about mm -hmm. the, the journey and i think mm -hmm. A lot of travel adventure YouTubers don't do that. Was there other aspects of his style or personality that people connected with? I think the, the humbleness. Um, he, he was always, I always got the sense that he was very humble. Um, he was never one to sell himself. There was once I asked him 
I think he had just crossed 80,000 subscribers on YouTube. And I asked him how he felt about that. He was like, and he said, I, I'm okay with the number of subscribers I have. So <laughs> I think that, 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 that humbleness, that, that really, yeah, I, I'm doing what I love and that's it. If people want to watch me, that's great. If not, well, that's great too. You know, watching his videos, I knew what he was doing was amazing, but I don't think I had a true appreciation of what he was actually accomplishing until I started thinking more seriously about this. And and after Johan passed away, reading the articles that would come out where people were actually talking about, you know, this is actually what he did. I started to realize that this, like some of these adventures were kind of extreme adventures. Very much so. Especially in the southern, south of Chile, what he, some of the places he traveled, very few people have actually traveled there. He, he's wandering around in the middle of basically, I wouldn't say rainforest, but a really rugged landscape. And nobody's been there except horses. Mm-hmm. So even, even the people that have adventured down there don't do that. It, it's really impressive what he has done. In fact, um, he, he told me, actually, this is a great story. The section of the Greater Patagonia Trail that he did, the little section where I first met him, and mm-hmm. after that, he met the guy that had plotted that route. And he told the guy, yeah, I did that with my bike. And the guy was like, whoa, whoa, that's, that's crazy. You're, you're, you're insane. So the, the guy that actually created that route couldn't believe that he did it with a bike. Wow. And for Johannes, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to find out, um, you know, during your time that you spent with Johan, do you have a a memory or or something that you'd like to share about the the time you had together? Memory. Um, I think one of my favorite memories, when we were traveling to Argentina, he had suggested a route um, found it on an overlanding site, said, hey, there's a, there may be a great campsite here. So I said, okay, let's do it. So as we're driving down this very sketchy road, uh, we come to a, a washout. There's, there is no real easy way around it, apart from going off-road down into a washout and hopefully back out. Mm-hmm. And uh I looked at him and I said, are you sure? I don't know. If we go down this washout, we're not getting back up. It's like, he just looks at me and said, well, it'll be fine. (laughs) That that, that understated, it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, And I think that 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 has inspired me in many fashions. Okay, yeah, it's probably not going to be fine, but we're going to do it anyway, because if it isn't, we'll figure out a way out. I feel like that same story played out over and over again in his content. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. I think I think his his entire life was was spent like that. You asked this question in the article about his journeys, and you said, "Why? Uh, why did he make this journey? Why did he choose the hard routes, the solitary routes, where people were few and far between?" You know, since you wrote that article about a year ago now, do you have any more insights into what made Johan 
choose the adventures that he he chose? I think he he chose those routes to challenge himself, to really mm-hmm. get a sense of who he was. I think there was a certain embrace of mortality there, of, of his own mortality. He mentioned in probably second of the series or the third of the series that he was just going to keep doing what he did until it stopped working out. And it was a sense that there, he didn't want to be bound to society, to uh, the, the norms of society. He, he just wanted to do what he wanted to do. And if he died, so be it. That's about the only sense I can make of why he would, why he would do that. Wow. Matt, super appreciate you coming on and, and your insights and your candor here talking about Johan. Also just really appreciate what you've been doing as well to sort of keep his memory alive and, and help more people to, to get to know who he was and, and the adventures he went on and, Get some inspiration. So just before we conclude our interview here, I I wanted to ask you, what challenges are you facing when it comes to preserving Johan's content? One of our problems is YouTube has some fairly um, restrictive copyright issues. Sometimes the videos just disappear uh, and we have no way to rectify that through his account. We have no way of uh, actually accessing his YouTube account and probably will never have the ability to do that. Even his relatives, his next of kin cannot do that. So that remains a a sticking point. So we're exploring different means of actually providing or making most of his content available and in the format in which he filmed it or he, he, he created it. I know a lot of times YouTube adds ads, many ads during the video, and mm-hmm. that's a little bit disruptive. So we we like to do something to avoid that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your stories and giving us some insight into Johan. Yeah, thank you, Ty. At the end of our conversation, Matt explained that Johan's content is in danger of disappearing. What can we do to preserve Johan's videos? One of the goals of this podcast, Stories Worth Telling Forever, is to find the best ways to preserve high-value digital content by using new storage technologies that enable content to persist permanently through decentralized community-owned storage. Arweave makes this possible by enabling you to upload content, paying once, and storing for a minimum of 200 years. Now you might be wondering, is there an easy way to take advantage of Arweave's decentralized storage? Accord is a service that makes saving data for generations on Arweave possible with just a few clicks. 
Accord has also generously offered to provide the storage needed to preserve Johann's content permanently, ad-free, and as he intended for all to enjoy. I'll leave the links in the notes where you can find out more about Johann's content, Arweave, and Accord. I want to leave you with a few words from one of Johann's travel companions, Sylvain Saint-Denis. And this is from the article entitled, Did Anyone Really Know the Bike Wanderer? It was written by Bill Donahue for Bicycling.com. Saint-Denis was quoted as saying, Traveling with Johan was like cooking with the greatest chef on the planet. He was always planning the next episode in his head. He always found the best angle for filming his journey, capturing the landscape, the nature, the animal life. I told him many times that he was a poet, and he was a calm, patient, and respectful travel mate. He was always joking and staying optimistic. He was happy and very strong mentally and physically. When things were tough, he helped me. He mentioned that on their final journey together, Johan told him something very important. He said, Sometimes it's good to follow a road without knowing if you'll make it to the other side. I'm Ty. Thank you for joining me on Stories Worth Telling Forever. Now, if you want to get a feel for creating your own digital artifact, visit our website at foreverstories.xyz, and there you can record an audio clip onto Arweave and share it with your friends and family for generations to come.